Welcome for those of you that are joining us today for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you could be a part. You stopped by for five minutes. We thank you for stopping by for five minutes. And um, welcome. This is Antioch West Virtual. And uh, we're, we are a, we're a unique church and we do things in a unique way. And we're continuing to follow God as he leads us and guides us. Praise God. I want to take you uh, back to the word of God today and continue our series we've been doing now for the last couple of weeks. We got one, one more today and then we're going to finish it off next week. And that is discipleship simplified. I've kind of given this little bit of an opening the last couple of weeks, but but the desire behind this is the last couple of years is seeking the Lord to go, okay, God, if I stripped everything everything away and just got, got it down to the simple bare bones, what are some bare bones, simple concepts to being your disciple? Now, I'm not saying this is a definitive list. This is a part of what God showed me. I think we can look at it from many different angles. So this is just one angle to look at. Don't think that I'm saying to you, this is the only way and this is it. No, nothing else matters. I mean, when you're looking at God, you look at God from many different aspects because he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. He's, he, you can look at God from so many different angles and see something new uh, about God every day. And so this is one way God is showing me uh, the, 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 the journey of being a disciple. And we're simplifying it. And uh, we're taking this from the scripture when Jesus walks to the to the. Uh, walks into the fishing village and he walks up to four young men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he gives the invitation. We've read it now out of the book of Mark several times, but he gives the invitation. He says, follow me, comma, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now we've talked about this and we're getting into this. The first step we see in discipleship is that first call of follow me. You should know this. If you've watched the last couple weeks, you should know this by now that this is a, the first initial opening that comes to us from Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to join a church. It's not an invitation to follow a doctrine. It's not an invitation to do this or do that. It's an invitation for an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Follow me. He didn't ask him to follow Judaism. He didn't ask him to follow Christianity. There was no Christianity. It was follow me. This has started with Jesus. It's with Jesus and it will end with Jesus. Really, we get caught up so much on doctrine. We get so caught up on denominations. We get caught up on so much stuff. And are there truths in the word of God? Absolutely. But in the end, it's got to start and end with Jesus. His word is true. He's the author and the finisher of the faith. Remember John says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So again, this word here, follow me. I said this before, but he didn't say to, I said it last week. When he made this invitation, he didn't say to the to these four men, you know, come follow and um, and 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 let me teach you. Uh, come follow and, and 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 let's study the scripture together. Come follow and let me share with you what I think and how I how I live. It was a follow me, follow me. Now, when you follow him, you get all this. When you follow him, you get the word because he is the word. When you follow him, you get his actions and his 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 thinking. Because let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Right? The scripture tells us when we follow him. We're not only following in his footsteps, or as we said in the beginning, we're not really following him as in click, I will follow you, as in a Facebook follow or an Instagram follow. Really, what we're saying is we're walking, we're going to go on a journey with you, walk with you. When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't asking them for a Facebook follow. He was telling them, guys, we're about to go on a journey. Come follow me. I, I, I'm going to be the guide to this journey. I'm not the. I'm not going to be the the the. the I'm, I'm the. I'm the leader of this thing. You're going to follow me, but as you follow me, I'm going to take you on a journey. Walk with me. Remember, Jesus said it to them. He says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn of me." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So what it really he's saying, follow me, is he's getting in the yoke with me. Come, get in this, get in this, in this connected relationship with me. That's what he's asking. But remember what I said in the beginning, and I said it last week. 
It wasn't follow me. It was follow me. And you guys remember that from the last couple of weeks, I've really tried to drive this home several times. What was after follow me? You got to remember this, this little... Uh, that's a terrible arrow. I apologize. I don't know what happened to my drawing skills. My arrow kind of got smushed. But that arrow pointing to that comma. That comma means if you don't do this right here, what's coming after this is irrelevant. We love them, you know, make me become fishers of men. Ooh, I love it. Ooh, what, what am I going to become in God? God, what are you going to make me? What do I get out of this? That's really what we're asking. Okay, fine. I'll follow you, but what do I get out of it? Notice, he didn't say to them, follow me and I will make you wise. Follow me and I'll make you holy. Follow me and I'll make you happy. Follow me and I'll make you prosperous. Follow me and I'll make you smart. How about this one? Follow me and I'll make you successful. He didn't say any of that. Uh, unfortunately, I say this and I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be uh, critical here, but I'm just trying to get us to challenge us to think about some things. We've dangled the wrong carrot in front of people. For too long. Because we've told people, come follow Jesus and he's going to make your life amazing. You know, come follow Jesus and your life, you're just going to have a wonderful life. Why is your life wonderful? Why, if you follow Jesus, is your life wonderful? Because you know what? I got problems. I've got difficulties. I've got things, stresses. There's some days you show up in my house, you would kind of scratch your head going, what's wrong with that fella? I'm not saying to you, come follow him and he'll make everything. I'm saying, come follow him because it's him. The only carrot to dangle in, some, in front of somebody is not some blessed, prosperous life. Because if that's the case, man, we're shortchanged. The only carrot we can dangle is him. Because if Jesus isn't enough, then I'm sorry. There's no car. There's no money. There's no job. There's no husband. There's no wife. There's no house. There's no vacation. There's nothing that will satisfy. If he doesn't satisfy, then nothing's satisfied. So my friend today, if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus and you're just trying to get to know him, I'm not going to tell you come to him and everything in your life is going to be great. Can he make your life great? Yes. Can he bless you? Absolutely. Walking with him is amazing. Yes, it is. But not because of what you get out of it. Walking with him is great because it's him. Because you know what? In the last couple of years, I've had some of the lowest, darkest places of my entire life. If you looked at me on some of my dark days, you wouldn't maybe see big difference between me and someone living down the street. But what made the difference was he made the difference. Because even at my darkest, lowest moment, I had hope. I had hope. He's my blessed hope. Paul said it in Romans. He said, if we, if, if, if we have hope in things that we can see, we don't have hope. But if we have hope in things we cannot see, that's true hope. So I don't know why I'm hitting this today and I'm trying to get past this because I'm trying to get to the next point. But this is this is... This is everything, folks. If we don't get this, we're not, we're not, I, 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 you know, I, I use this terminology as, as, as an illustration, not in reality. I'm not selling you a, a, a doctor today. I'm not selling you a church. And for goodness sake, I'm not selling you me. Ooh, please. If I'm selling you, you I'm going to tell you right now, don't buy me. You're going to be really disappointed. I'm not selling you me. I'm not selling you Antioch West. I'm not selling you a church. I'm not selling you a doctorate. I'm not selling you a methodology. I'm just simply selling you him. And because it's about him. But here's the point. If we don't follow him, comma, stop, and we're only following for what we get out of it, oh God, you know, I'll follow you if you if you heal me. I'll follow you if you if you if you you know, give me the wife or the husband I want. I'll follow you if you give me the job I want. I'll follow you if I can get that car. I'll follow you if I can get that house. I'll follow you if I can get that vacation. No, no, I'll follow you. There's a song I, I love. It was a, was a, when I was a kid, my mom, for some of you know this, some of you may not, but my mom, I, I, my, my parents uh, are the founders of Antioch Church. And so for almost, I guess, 30 plus years, 35 years, whatever it was, I don't remember exact, the, the exact number of years, but my mother led 
worship. She played the organ or the piano, whatever it was, and she would lead worship. And she was a, just an absolute uh, dynamic uh, uh, leader of worship. Tremendous. But we had a piano in my house. And in our house growing up, we had a piano. My dad, I forgot for what purpose he bought it. He bought it for a gift for her. And we had a piano. And so it was downstairs and our room was upstairs. And, and the way the house was, was constructed, it kind of had a, an opening for the stairs. And so sound downstairs just seemed to reverberate through the house. And I can't tell you how many days I would hear my mom on that piano singing a song. When, she, when, when my mom goes through things, she 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 goes to a song. It's been like that my entire life. She uh, she when she's in her darkest moment, she sings. God gives her a song. She sings it, and I can't. She'd sing songs, but the song that always, for some reason, growing up as a kid, I remember was a song called "I'd Rather Have Jesus." And um, actually, I'm, I'm give me a second here. I know this is the great advantage of doing this with a computer. Uh, I can pull up the, the lyrics as I talk here. And I want you to hear these lyrics for a second. I'm getting to somewhere. We're going to keep going here in a minute because I have other things I believe the Lord wants to share this morning. But I want you to hear this. This is the words to this song. It says this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. Then the chorus says this, Then to be the king of a vast domain, or to be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And the second verse says this, I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than wonderful fame, worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. And finally, the last one is, he's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than the honey out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. We're moving on to a different part, but I want you just to know today that I hope and pray somewhere along your life that becomes the prayer of your life. Just give me Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing when I was a kid. You can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. You can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. You can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I love that song because in the end, you know what? You can have it all, but if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And you can have nothing but have him and have everything. So, moving along. Follow me, comma, that comma is the first thing. But the next thing he says, he says, and I will make you become, right? So we follow the second one we talked about last week was formed. And finally, this week, we're going to get to the third part of his challenge and his discipleship mission from the very beginning and we're going to get to the fourth one next week but the third one we're going to talk about this today and that is focus from the very beginning of the call that jesus gives these four men who become the pillar of his discipleship movement that ended up literally taking over the known world in the beginning he gives us these four pillars or these four basic fundamentals of discipleship follow formed and then he gives this focus now i want you to see something here because it's very important that we understand instead of telling them what they were going to gain for themselves jesus focused their attention outward when he called his disciples he immediately let them know that they would be molded into sort of this, uh, what would be a better way of saying it, this sort of special forces, Delta Force type army that would reach people with a message of hope and redemption. And this idea of becoming fishers of men. Now watch this. 
Did you notice, and we went back, we talked about it in the first week, but we, we, you, you can see it if you read the story there in Mark chapter 1. Did you notice what the men, what, what the brothers were doing when Jesus comes up to them? This was not by accident. Jesus never does anything by mistake, right? So what, was, what were they doing when he shows up? They were doing two things, and this is important because this is, the, this is not by accident, that he could have caught them. He could have caught them at home. He could have caught them at the market. He could have caught them on their way back and forth from to the boat. He could have. He could have caught them cleaning fish. He could have caught them hanging out, taking a break. He could have got there at any time. But just like Jesus and John, uh, chapter four, right, gets to the woman at the well at the right time. He went to the woman at the well at noonday. Jesus never showed up early, and he never showed up late. He showed up on time. So when Jesus showed up to these four boys, he showed up right at the appointed time. And what were they doing when he showed up? They were doing, so we'll leave this up there for a second. They were doing two things. They were fishing and they were mending. Now this is huge and we got to get this point because this is going to, these, these two actions are going to parallel into his entire framework of the mission he's about to give these boys, right? He says, follow me, because we got to know it starts and ends with him. He's the author and the finisher of the faith. So bookend on this entire thing is Jesus. He's the start. He's the end. He's the, he's, he's the pillar that holds this thing up. But in the middle, we got we got a journey to walk, right? And so he says, follow me. But here's what's going to happen when you follow me. There's this formation that's going to happen, right? Because as I am, so shall you be. He says that in John, right? We, that, that's part of the Great Commission, the, the unspoken part of the Great Commission. He says, so as, as, I have, as I have been sent, so I send you. So we see that the first aspect in the mission that Jesus Christ gives us is this desire, this, 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 this internal uh, desire to be like him, to be like Christ. To be Christ-like, which is why we get the term Christian. But within this, there's this aspect of, okay, now that's, now that's established. We're to be like Jesus, and he's forming us. But within that context, he gives these two fundamental actions. Fishing and mending. In fact, let's just read it for a second, just so you know that I'm not just making it up. Uh, Mark chapter uh, 1, and we'll read it out of uh, verse 16. We're going to read it out of the ESV uh, for clarity. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Again, Simon is who we know as Peter. At the time, he was Simon. Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him so they were fishing he keeps going right and going a little farther he saw james the son of zebedee and john his brother who were in their boat mending the nets so again we see in both aspects what was going on you say well that was just you know that was just happened they were fishermen and that's what they were doing but jesus never does anything by mistake right he's always on time so why did he show up at the fishing and the mending? Why did he show up when they were coming back from fishing? Why did he show up when they were casting out the shore? Why did he show up when they were cleaning the fish or collecting the fish or preparing the fish to market? Why did he wait till they got home and knocked on their door and said, Hey guys, um, I know you. if you have a minute here, I'd like to talk to you. Why did he show up at that time? Notice he showed up when Simon and Andrew were actively fishing. And they were actively mending. Now, this is important. Because one of the things, now there's many ways they could do this. And one of the ways I, I read this, uh, I thought this was actually quite interesting. Is that fishing at that time, they would do it with nets, right? It was no hook and line fishing. These were commercial fishermen and they were fishing for quantity. So they would take this and they would sell it at market and Fishing was done at night and they would come and clean and get it in the morning and take it to market and they'd come back in the afternoon and they would they would mend their nets and get it ready and prepare and then they would take a they would they would sleep and then they would go back. It was a it was a it was a tough life. 
These guys were not your nine to five workers. These guys were hard working, hard working uh, boys at the time. They were 16, 17. Peter was a little older, but they were they were hard working. And what was amazing about this is that one of the ways they fish now, now there's been some study done on this and there's some debate on whether or not this was used by all fishermen. But this is one of the ways they did it was that these weights, these, 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 these nets were about 20 feet, uh, roughly 20 feet in circumference. And they had weights attached to them and you got a net, right? So you throw this net and it was on, they would, they would stay more towards the shore uh, where the water wasn't quite so deep, but there was enough water that fish could school underneath. And they would cast the net into the water, and they would allow the net, because of the weights, to sink. And, the, and it, would, it, would, it would fall on sort of the, the seafloor and trap whatever was swimming at the time it was cast in. And then you'd have to jump in, and you'd have to collect the nets and you'd have to pull them together and pass them up to someone on the boat who would pull this in. Now imagine doing this on a repetitive nature. You're talking about hard work. And what was crazy was you had no guarantee when you threw that net in you were going to catch anything. I mean there was some skill involved because obviously you wanted to make sure that you found some fish. And also when you threw it in you hoped that you had skill in how you, did, how you threw the net. But... There was no guarantee that that little fish or that group of fish or school of fish would swim off and you would be doing all this work for relatively nothing. And you'd pull the net back in and have to do it again and you would go on this repetitive process. So these guys were, were used to this. They were used to this process. And it's amazing because you know what? It really mirrored what they were going to do. Not every time you cast your net with Jesus do you pull in fish. Because notice, they were fishing, not catching. <laughs> Do you catch fish when you go? Sure. But fishing requires a lot of effort sometimes. The last time I went fishing, and maybe the last time I ever go fishing, we had some guys in the church, Antioch West. Um, one of them, Brother Chris Height, had a friend who uh, had a boat or connections to a charter boat. And they were like, you know, let's go out and we'll go rock fishing in the bay. We have the Chesapeake Bay right here near where we live. And I'm like, well, I've never done that before. So, you know, what? okay, I'll try. I'm not, I'm not big on fishing, but, you know, it was a good opportunity. So we had to get up at like 2.30 in the morning, which is not God's hour. I'm sorry. I don't think even Jesus took naps. So come on. 2.30 in the morning is just not, not the time Jesus, I think even Jesus has taken a nap at that time. So we got to get up early and a drive, get on this boat, and then we go out fishing. And the way it worked there for rockfish is you had all these lines. I don't know how many lines we had in the water, like eight lines in the water. And they were behind the boat and they were we were trolling. And we just went up and down with line in the water, hoping a fish. And I'm telling you what, we spent hours Going up and down, trying to stay awake, waiting for a fish. And I think in that entire time we might have gotten two fish. It was extremely disappointing. So we went fishing. We did not go catching. We fished. We did not catch. Now, for a true fisherman, that doesn't discourage you. For a non-fisherman, I don't want to do that again. No, thank you. I was good. I, went, I, I, was, ha I was okay with that. I did it. I don't even know if I, it was an experience. I can say I did it. That was, it was, it's checked off my non-bucket list. But we were not catching, we were fishing. So these men were used to fishing, not catching. They didn't always catch. Because remember down the road, they got, they toiled all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, cast you down on the other side. And remember they caught a great catch of fish. They weren't always successful. But you see, because you don't catch anything doesn't mean you stop fishing. Because when he calls you to this outward focus, remember this focus. Why is he calling them? He's saying, listen, you're used to fishing. You're used to reaching out. You're used sometimes to reaching and nothing coming back. But you don't stop reaching. You don't stop following. You don't stop believing. You don't stop casting. Because why? Your focus. Because you know what? If we fished like we live, we would cast a net and then bring back and we'd be like, no, this is terrible. I didn't catch anything. This is so bad. Life's so hard. Why did the fish just crawl into the net? This is just so bad. I just want to quit. 
wouldn't be a fisher fisherman for very long. Every person that's watching today that's fish, you have a lot more cast and pull back with nothing than you have cast and pull back with something. But just because you don't bring back something doesn't stop you from wanting to go at it again because you never know whatever time you throw out could be the one when you catch that big one, right? We caught a fish this big. So he's telling them, listen, from the very beginning, it's not going to be results oriented. It's going to be action oriented because you know what? Some sow, some water, God gives the increase. He wasn't asking them to worry about the fish. He was asking them just to throw the net. We cast, God brings in the fish. But God can't bring in the fish unless we're casting. And he's saying, listen, every time you cast, you're not always bringing something in. They were fishing, not catching. But the problem is if the focus... You see, we want to focus on results, and results, when they don't happen, we get inward. We're like, okay, well, this is all about me, and I'm not. No. He was telling us, first of all, I'm going to let you know. Number one, follow me, meaning it's not about you. He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to, as you follow you, I'll make all your dreams. Jesus is not the all your dreams come true. He's not Disney. When you wish upon a star, makes no different who you are. Jesus didn't write that. He said, follow me. He's the one we're following. I hate to tell you, I'm going to give you a little revelation this morning, and some of you are not going to like it, but you're not God. And stop telling God how to be God, because you're not God, and you don't know how to be God, and he's been God for a lot longer than you can even imagine. So let him be God, and you just stop talking and follow. Ooh. I know I need to get an amen somewhere in that, but that's okay. So follow him. First part of it. The focus of action was predicated because it's about him. Even in being formed, I will make you become fishers of men. He was, what are we becoming? We're becoming fishers of men. We're becoming something that's really not about us. And really, all he's saying to you is we're going to get to next week. Follow me, formed, focus, and next week we're forsake. And all four of those things, there's one message. And it's this message. It's not about you. It's not about you. We have made everything about us. Our world is making everything about the individual. And I, look, I'm, I, there, there's some good parts to that. We need to, res, we need to respect one another. I'm not, you know, but my God, now it's like, you know, it's all about me. You can't, you can't encroach upon me, 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 me. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not knocking you for doing it. I've done it. But come on, what's the number one picture taken every day across this planet? Selfie. With a duck face, right? Gotta get that selfie. Selfie. Gotta get my selfie on. For my selfie, for my iPhone. It's all about me. This is the spirit of our world. And trust me, we all fight it. And sometimes we, act, we, we I, everybody, all of us do. Yours truly. It gets me. But I gotta be honest with you, Jesus is not going to follow that pattern. So when you try to make it all about you with him, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't work with that. Remember Paul said, I must decrease that he might increase. All this is pointing back to less of me and more of him. So that's the point he's trying to make even here. He said, fellows, if you're coming with me, it's gonna be a lot less of you and a lot more of me. But now that he's with the spirit of a world, it's, it's, it's crept into the church and now it's a lot more of us and a little bit of Jesus. And if there is a bit of Jesus, it's more just to prop us up. But remember, he said, starting off from the beginning, you're going to be fishing. But what was the other thing they were doing when you showed up? They were mending. Now again, some of you know this and some of you understand this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm being a little elementary here, but it's important to understand this. Remember, the net that they were using, right? A net, if you looked at it, we just had these, we'll just... Do a simple illustration here for uh, 
because I don't think you want to sit here and watch me draw for the next five hours. But if you look at it, if you look at a section of a net, right, you're really looking at it where it's simply you have all these different connections coming here that are making up this sort of pattern that is keeping all of this connected so that there are no holes in your net. And so there's nothing for anything to swim through. Now, the problem is when you've thrown that in and you've pulled it on rocks or other parts or even on the side of the boat, these parts of your net begin to, so if this, if this fails here, guess what happens? You get a hole in your net. So you're pulling in and you think you've got a catch and guess what happens? And then next thing you know, you get a fish that swims right through your hole and all of that work goes for nothing. So, the aspect that Jesus was showing is number one, you're going to be cast, you're going to be, you're going to be focused outward. My entire mission is an outward mission. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the nations. It's an outward. Jesus' mission is an outward mission. But the problem is you can't be, you're, as a fisherman in the time when Jesus walked up to these boys, the fisherman was only as successful as the net he was using. It didn't matter if he knew exactly where the fish were, if he threw the net exactly the way it needed to be thrown, and he had everything lined up. If the net wasn't correctly mended, the fish could swim right through. So what was the other thing that he did? They were mending the nets, meaning they would come and they would spend hours at sometimes prepare, re repairing the hole in the net to make sure that this was back to being intact. Now here's the cool part about this. Because it really shows what you and I are all about, should all be about as disciples of Jesus Christ. What we got to follow me, he's forming us, but for what, right? We're not just saved from, but we're saved to, for something, right? So what is, what is this showing us? Well, two scriptures come to mind, and some of you would know this. Some of you that are maybe brand new, you don't know these scriptures. I encourage you to look them up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Sorry, my two kind of died there. But Ephesians 4, 11 and, uh, 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave to the church... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gave them what we call the fivefold ministry, which are the, 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 the equippers of the church. And he said, I gave these to you for the, for the perfecting of saints, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, here's the great thing in word. In verse number 12, there's this word, equip. The cool thing about this is, is that up here, remember we had the word mending in John and Mark 1. So Mark 1, they were mending. In Ephesians 4, they were equipping. The great thing about this is, is that in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. Guess what? Mending and equipping come from the same Greek word. So when they were mending their nets, they were equipping their nets. When God is trying to bring his church to a place of growth and maturity, as Ephesians 16 says, when we come to love, we will grow in love and come to full maturity in Christ as a body. When he's equipping his church, he's mending his church, meaning he's equipping you and I by mending the nets in our lives, the holes in our life, whether it's holes of hurt, whether it's holes of our past, whether it's holes of shame, whether it's holes of brokenness. He's mending us for what purpose? So that we can have this wonderful utopic life and never have problems? No, he's doing that so we can become more effective nets. That's why God doesn't, he loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are. Not so he can make your life so wonderful, even though there is a part to that. He makes your life wonderful. He heals you and changes you and sets you free and all that's awesome. But why? So you can sit back and relax and go, wow, my life is great. I'll just hang out here until Jesus comes or I die. He didn't do that. He does those things so you can be equipped to be a better net. Because that's the problem with some of you. you you're okay with casting and, and being out there sharing the love of Jesus Christ. But every time you try to pull someone close to Jesus, they slip away because you've got holes in your net. 
You got things of your past. You got things in your future, your present. You got things you're dealing with right now that you won't let the Lord help you with that are producing holes in your net. Because watch what happens. I'll read this one for you. Let's go again. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If we can do that. I don't think I have it in my notes here. Uh, no. Yeah, I do actually. It's in my notes. I'll just read it here instead of going to it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says this. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Now this is scripture, right? The the Bible. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Okay, sounds great. We've got to do the word of God because these are what it's going to do. Why? Keep reading. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's that word again. Same word in Ephesians 4 is the same word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's that word equipped. So Root word, mending. So really what Paul is telling us there is that the word of God is going to uh, teach us. It's going to rebuke us. It's going to correct us. It's going to train us in righteousness so that we can be complete. Or as the scripture sometimes says perfect. Perfect doesn't mean never flawed, but perfect meaning complete. So we can be complete. Why? So we can be equipped to do every good work. We can be mended. Mended. So that's why just having a focus outwardly is one aspect of it. But there are times where God's going to take you to take to make you more effective outwardly. He's going to take you through seasons of mending. But he's not taking you through seasons of mending just to make you feel better and just fix all your problems. He's taking you through seasons of mending so that you can be more effective in your fishing. And it goes back to, again, the whole point we started with is it's not about you. It's not about you. Got to get a little more definitive line on that so you can see it. It's not about you. Sorry to break it to you today. I know that hurt. I know that just offends you and you just, you're just broken hearted. But can I tell you, it's not about you. It's not about you. As I finish today, I want to play to you with. I want to play a clip for you this morning. Um, it's a story of a man by the name of Kevin Hines, and his story of his attempted suicide attempt. I want you to listen to the, the words he says. I want you to pay attention to what he talks about in this journey. Remember, talk about focusing our focus. Where's our focus? I want you to listen to his story. And I'm going to come back when it's done. And I want to just challenge you with one final thought here as we end. So I want you to listen to his story and um, let the Lord speak to you as he talks. And it was September 24th when, when it all came to a head. I sat at my desk and I penned that note. Mom, dad, brother, sister, girlfriend, best friend love you but I gotta go I was gonna go to the Golden Gate and I was gonna disappear I thought I was my family's burden I wish I asked them I just wanted the pain to stop that's the common denominator of people we lose to suicide they just want the pain to stop what they don't realize is that their thoughts don't have to become their actions their thoughts don't have to take over if you can recognize those thoughts as flawed and illogical because suicide is an irrational state of mind. You think you have to die, but you don't really want to. You know, I found myself in my father's room that morning. I startled him awake. He looked at me, said, Kev, what's wrong? Like with parental instinct. I said, uh, nothing, Dad. I just want to tell you that I love you. It's for the very last time. And, you know, <laughs> he goes, I love you too, Kev. But it's six in the morning, and I don't gotta be working until nine, go back to bed. I walked around to the other side of the bed, I sat on the carpeted floor, and I rocked myself back and forth in tears, begging myself to tell the one man who loves me the most in the world the truth, but the voice in my head said, be quiet, Kevin, you have to die. And that's what took me to the Golden Gate that morning. I took a bus there, and on that bus, all I wanted to do was scream and beg for help and live, but the voice became so loud. I sat on that bus in the back row, middle seat. I'm crying my eyes out like a baby, mucus dripping from my nose. 
people are staring at me now. Then I'm yelling aloud at the voices in my head. I desperately wanted someone to say, are you okay? I would have told them everything. Fear, apathy. There was a guy to my left, said to the fellow next to him, while pointing at me with his thumb, what's wrong with that kid with a smile on his face? Apathy, that's his or her problem, but it ain't mine. The bus got to the bridge, I sat there crying. Bus driver turned, he stood, he looked at me and he said, kid, come on, get off the bus, I gotta go. I walked across the walkway of the Golden Gate Bridge for 40 minutes, up and down, back and forth, crying like a baby. Bikers, joggers, tourists, runners, they all went by me. Police officers searching for suicidal people went by me twice. I'm leaning over the rail, crying like a baby. They went by me twice. Nobody cares. And the voice in my head said, jump now, and I did. At the millisecond that my hands left that rail, instant regret for my actions and the absolute recognition that I just made the greatest mistake of my life. You know, falling head first, right in my body accidentally, landed in a position that wouldn't kill me. On the way down, I said to myself, what have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. And I hit the water. I went down 70 feet beneath the water's surface, but I opened my eyes. My legs, I couldn't move. I had shattered my T12, L1, and L2 lower vertebrae into shards like glass. I had missed severing my spinal cord by uh, two millimeters. I swam to the surface only using my arms. When I came to the surface, bobbing up and down in water, swallowing salt water, kept going down, couldn't stay afloat. A woman driving by in a red car saw me go over and she called her friend in the Coast Guard. The reason the Coast Guard got to my body within less than the time I was set in hypothermia and drowned was because of that woman making that phone call. The Coast Guard arrived. They fished me out of the water they put me in a flatboard, they put a neck brace around my neck, and they started asking me a bunch of questions. Guy looks at me, he leans in, and he says, kid, do you know how many people we pull out of this water that are already gone? And I said, no, and I don't wanna know. And he said, well, I'm gonna tell you. This unit has pulled 57 dead bodies out of this water, and one live one. I looked up at my dad and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. And he looked down at me and with great conviction, he said, no, Kevin, I'm sorry. And waterfalls flew from his eyes. He put his hand on my forehead and he said words I've never forgotten. Kevin, you are going to be okay, I promise. And that got me through the night. Now I had this opportunity to recover. And a lot of people think that I went from this incident and was like, oh, I'm so much better now, you know, oh great, it's all gone. No, this was just the beginning. As you listen to that story, I hope you really paid attention to some of the things he said. Um, my wife and I first heard his story several months ago, and um, we heard him tell it. He was a younger man when he told it the first time, and this, obviously, he's a little older, but... But when he told his story, you know, it was remarkable as he talked about he shattered, I forgot how many bones he shattered and he just missed severing things and it was a remarkable story of just his survival. But that's not really what stood out to me. Even though it was awesome, he said before he hit the water, he said, you know, he prayed and regretted it and asked God to spare him. That, that, that part maybe you got focused on, but I really want you to focus because we're talking about the mission of Jesus Christ. What really stood out to me in his story, and I've heard him tell it in many different ways, different aspects of it, was go back to the bus ride. Listen to what he said on the bus ride. He, he literally said he's crying, he's sobbing, and there's a bus full of people. And the guy next to him is annoyed by this kid crying next to him and the bus driver just dismisses and said, you know son get off this bus I've got places to go and he gets out on the, 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 the bridge and he's walking back and forth and he mentioned it right what was it bikers and joggers and tourists and everybody else going back and forth passing him and he's sobbing he's not, he's not sheepishly 
hiding. He's sobbing and crying. And he's begging. I love that part where he said, I'm just I'm begging somebody, please just ask me, how are you doing? Because every voice inside of me was yelling, telling me to shut up and die. He talks about it. In fact, one of the, one of the times I've heard him tell his story, he, he mentioned the fact that, that there was a woman that stops him and hands him a camera and says, can you take my picture? And he said, I remember thinking, my, my woman, I'm about to kill myself. I don't really care about your picture. She was completely oblivious to the fact that he's sitting there sobbing and crying. She just cared about getting her picture taken at the Golden Gate Bridge. Going to be honest with you, listening to that story, watching the reaction, listening to the reaction of all these people walking by. And I'm not saying everybody was had ill intentions. Probably like most of us, they were kind of maybe didn't want to get involved, right? We did, didn't want to say anything, didn't want to offend, didn't want to hurt. He's obviously a troubled young man, don't want to say anything. And all he said, I just wish somebody would say, are you okay? But I don't believe everybody was that way. I believe there was just some people that were just so caught up in their life. They were so caught up in being a tourist on the Golden Gate Bridge. They were so caught up in riding their bike. They were so caught up in looking at the scenery around them that they didn't even recognize what was going on right in front of them. And he said, if it wasn't for that lady who stopped when he jumped and saw him and called her friend immediately, he would have died. He said, the Coast Guard said to him, we fished out how many? 56, whatever it was. And you're the only one we fished out alive. Why did he survive? Because there was somebody willing to stop and be aware of what's going on. You know, don't wonder Jesus says to look up to the fields for they white already to harvest. So pray that the laborers would go into the harvest. It's not a harvest problem. It's an awareness problem. And I'm speaking to you, as, to me as much as I'm speaking to you. You know, we get so caught up in our life. We got things to do. We got places to go. I mean, we live, for us who especially live here in Maryland, it's stress. We live under high stress, man. Woo! You got to fight. Dog eat dog. Go, 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 go. Man, if you sit back in traffic, you're going to get run over. You got to, we live in this mentality. Got to get it, got to get it, got to get it. Got to work to get ahead. Got to go, got to go. And this whole time, there are people around us that are broken and hurting and have no hope. And we don't even stop long enough to be aware of that. I, I know. Maybe they would have said something to that day and he would have been like, you know what? Go away. Okay. But to this young man, he was begging somebody. Yes, there will be sometimes you cast that net and pull back and nobody's coming with you. But what about if that's the time you cast and that you pull in that young man who's about to jump off the bridge and make the biggest mistake of his life? Because you are aware. Because you are aware. I don't do this very well. I can get very tunnel focused, but also I can get very disconnected. God has been really working me over. Because you know what's funny? Little, little later on after this encounter Jesus has with his disciples, they miss out. Because when Jesus goes to the woman at the well, he sent his disciples away as a test. They are walking into the city. She's walking out of the city. They walk by the woman at the well who's hurting and broken. They didn't even recognize who she was. And then when Jesus sent her back to the city, they were coming out of the city. They talked by her twice and weren't even aware of who she was and what was going on in her life. So they didn't get it perfect. I'm not beating you up. I'm not saying something's wrong with you. I couldn't yell at you without saying something about myself. But when Jesus called these young men to follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men, he was telling them, look, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the world around you. One thing my wife and I have been talking about a lot lately is, you know, getting to know somebody and hearing their story. Because sometimes you make a lot of wrong assumptions about somebody or you make a lot of, you put them in a category based off what you see. But when you know their story and you understand why they're the way they are, it changes your view on them. I believe it was Mr. Rogers who carried around in his pocket a, a note card given to him by a social worker. And the note card, I believe I, I'm close to right, right on this. The note card read, 
You can learn to love anybody if you're willing to hear their story. That person that is rude to you at work, that you just can't stand, you really just literally hope they get fired or they just choke on a bone. What's really going on in their heart and life? What's what's driving that? What's their story? What's their story? What, what's 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 that? What's deep down inside that's causing them? What happened when they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old? What uncle abused them? What what father or parent said you're no good, you're worthless? I wish you were never born. What were they told as a child? And now they're adults and they don't know what to do with all this pain and hurt. So they they're just. They're, they're just mean, grumpy people, but because we're so caught up in our life, we just dismiss them while they walk back and forth contemplating, do I jump or don't jump? Do I jump or don't jump? And just begging, would somebody please just ask me if I'm okay? And every voice inside of them is telling them, give up, you're dead, quit, die, die, die. But we who have hope in us, you know, the only, the gospel hit me as it's flowing to somebody else. It wasn't mine to keep for me. Freely have I received, freely give. As it's come to me, it's coming to somebody else. I'm supposed to be a conduit of his love, a conduit of his truth, a conduit of his hope. It's not supposed to be about me. But man, it's about get mine, get my ministry. What's my ministry? What's my calling? What's my gifting? What's my career? What's Honestly, none of that truly really matters to God. In a lot of ways, does God want you to, you know, God going to use you? Sure. But in the reality of it all, it's the focus. Antioch West, can I say this as I close? This is the one thing in the last two years God has challenged me to lead this body as pastor to bring us to a focus where it's not about us. I'm not saying we're there yet and we still have ways to go, but it's not about us. There are 600,000 people just in the county that we live, live in alone. Does include the surrounding, does include those of you that are watching from other places. There are millions of people in this world that are hurting. I get it. Not all of them are, are, not all of them are nice people. Not, only, not all of them are accepting, but they're hurting. And the question comes down to what's our focus going to be? Is it just about good church services and getting my blessing and teach me and getting to the nuances of scripture? Or is it about mending so I can fish and fish and mend and mend and fish and mend and fish and fish and mend and mend and fish as I'm being formed? What did Jesus say? I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the challenge. That's what being a disciple is about. You can't be a disciple without accepting the mission that God gave his disciples from the very beginning. In Jesus' name.